Wonder. And Luther and many of the church fathers spoke this way. There are now under Christ three offices, three omps, or three fathers. There is that of the government, or what we would refer to as the left-hand kingdom. There is that which we would refer to as the right-hand kingdom in terms of the spiritual realm, uh, that of uh, spiritual uh, headship and leadership within the church. And then there is that of the home or the family, that of the father. Okay, um, And so all of that, for us as Christians, we are to, to look at these things through the lens of Scripture and, and, and properly interpret. I don't want to get into all the politics that are going on in the world today. I've spent the last seven days playing golf. And I probably watched TV for a total of one hour. Uh, and it was just when we were back in the condo to have a little bit of lunch I barely looked at my phone, um, took my oldest son down for an annual mancation, uh, and we averaged 53 holes a day over the course of seven days. And uh, so uh, I think I'm paying for it today and probably will tomorrow as well. But uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. But it was, it was wonderful. Uh, some of the pastors you might know that go on this uh, little vacation with me, Pastor Dan Bremer. From Grace Lutheran Grand Island, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran in Murdoch, Nebraska, Pastor Scott Porath, Emmanuel Lutheran Eagle, Nebraska, Pastor James Deloach, Zion Lutheran, Kearney, Nebraska. Those are obviously some of the Nebraska boys, and then a lot of friends and family. So that's kind of been an annual thing, and I thank my wife uh, for letting me get away and, uh, and now also take our oldest son on that. So, okay, good to be back with you. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, grant that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your governance that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We are now in the last chapter here of uh, Professor Marquardt's book. And if you, if you have the book, whether the print form or the Kindle edition, um, make sure you read the note that precedes this chapter. Um, he was transferred to the church triumphant, meaning he died uh, before this book was completed. And so um, his uh, beloved students and friends uh, took the rest of his notes and, and put it together. And he had a chapter uh, of basically some handwritten and typed notes uh, that was going to be at the end of the book. Uh, and, and as someone um, sent me a nice little note this last week, this is all about doctrine. Uh, the chapter itself is, is, is kind of aptly summarized as apologetics, but apologetics is doctrine and doctrine is apologetics. Okay? In the sense of what we confess defines now what we say and what we do. So this is very similar to lex orande, lex credende. Okay? The faith, that which is prayed, okay, is that which is believed, and vice versa. The law of prayer is the law of faith. The law of faith is the law of prayer. And so all these things now intersect. For us, apologetics now, uh, and, and, and if you're not familiar with that word or it's foreign to you, it doesn't mean we apologize for what we believe, okay? Uh, and, and, and this kind of, uh, you know, postmodern nonsense, it's a defense a staunch defense of that which is right and true. A staunch defense of absolute truth 
which flows, of course, from the rock, the cornerstone himself, who is both true man and true God, and who is also the incarnate and the verba, the logos, the word. So it's all about Christ. Those angels singing? What is up with that? Where is that coming from? Okay. That was really weird. I lost my train of thought. Let's get to Mark Ward. So as a matter of plain common sense, this is page 155 uh, here in the last chapter. Uh, Why Christianity, Faith, Facts, and Reason. As a matter of plain common sense, if there is no intelligent creator before whom we are responsible, then ethics is no more than personal whim. Now just take that sentence and, and apply that to <laughs> everything that's going on right now, right? I mean, where, where is truth? You know, who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, do we have liberty uh, guaranteed by the Constitution? Yes. Creed? Faith, uh, to believe as you want, to worship as you want, absolutely. To enforce that upon someone else, no. And where do we as Christians now stand in the midst of that? Pastor Grady, I think you nailed, hit the nail on the head today. That was, that was a well-done well done sermon um, in terms of, of everything coming back to God's Word, coming back to God's law as given us in the Ten Commandments. If, a, if man is simply a freak of nature, then all of his cultural imaginings amount to a cosmic joke. He has no more dignity or significance than cats or cactuses. Less, in fact, for cats and cactuses are blissfully unaware of their absurdity. Okay? And, and, and you can apply that into the whole uh, value of, of, of life, of human life. And, of course, human life, according to Scripture, is set above all other created life. Okay? Uh, and I don't want to get too far off track, but we have you know, more laws protecting bald eagles and whales and hippopotamuses than we do human children. It's ridiculous. And so where is the value that society places and how do, how do you compare contrast that with regard to what God says? So the, the devil is always going to flip things on its head. It's always going to be the antithesis. And, and, and this is now the work of the Antichrist in our world today, of taking that which God says is good and upholding, and, and, and the devil, the world, and even our own sinful nature is going to rebel against that and, and, and flip that. Disposing of unwanted humans in that case is the same as exterminating roaches or bacteria. Indeed, statements like, quote, murder is evil, end quote, or you shall not steal, then belong to the same logical class as, I hate asparagus. Or as with one of our boys in our house, I hate broccoli. We've got a kid that just hates the little trees. When he was little, don't feed me the little trees. I'm not eating those trees. And mom would put cheese on them and butter and didn't matter. He still hates them. Or, please pass the mayonnaise. It is all simply a matter of taste or preference, unless, of course, some lovers of asparagus or haters of mayonnaise should manage to seize the power to enforce their own irrational choices. Let the reader understand where Marquardt's going here. In that case, prudence may dictate compliance, but certainly not ethics. 
So underlying that, and I think that would be a good way to look at how far do we go with compliance, right? So Constitution guarantees fill in the blank, okay? Um, what limits are there upon our government? That's why we have checks and balances. And then maybe I'm going a little too far here into what I said I wasn't going to get into. We have checks and balances for this reason, all right? Don't get me started on our Chief Justice. I'm not going to do this over YouTube. But we have checks and balances for a reason, okay? Checks and balances for a reason. Let me move on before I get myself in trouble. In that case, prudence may dictate compliance, but certainly not ethics. So ethics for us in terms of truth, and we're not talking about the, 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 the postmodern definition of truth, which is always subjective, right? So truth becomes now based upon what? For a true postmodern, your experiences, your feelings, your emotions, okay, or simply uh, whoever, whomever you have been a disciple of, right? So you have a beloved professor from fill in the blank, high school, from college, from university, someone at work, maybe a family member, a mentor of some type. And now you define truth based on someone you look up to. Okay? For a Christian, however, where is truth first defined? This is back to Christ, the cornerstone, which is where all doctrine originates. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and so the logos, to, to him all doxa, all glory is now given upon heaven and upon earth. So Christ becomes that cornerstone, that measuring stick. And so uh, even, even ethics for us, and, and this gets a little dicey, uh, especially if you haven't kind of been schooled to think this way. So, so, so grammar is simply the definition of words, and words mean things. So you always have to make sure that you define the words first. And so when I talk with recovering Roman Catholics or, or some of my... Uh, 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 Roman Catholic uh, uh, priests. Um, I met one actually. I went back to, to Nebraska, real quick trip, about three four weeks ago for a golf tournament, uh, which the Lutheran pastors won. By the way, we had a sponsor uh, for that, and uh, and I had I had a guy that came up to me. I didn't recognize him, and Pastor McKay, um, Father So and So from uh, from from Hastings, Nebraska. It's like oh, I didn't recognize you. And I had seen him at a couple of community events, and there's, there's two large parishes where I came from, and so, so I knew a few of the Catholic priests, and, and, and we would get together for various things in the community, and we kind of had a ministerium. It wasn't, you know, overly functional, but we'd get together to do some joint stuff that, you know, that was appropriate. And so if I were to have struck up a conversation with him there on the golf course regarding the word grace, do you think he and I would have defined the word grace the same way? What do you think? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, grace for him would be uh, the empowerment given by God and by the Holy Spirit to do that which the Lord requires. It would be armor that you put on and you live in it. Okay. And of course, we would define it differently, wouldn't we? Grace has nothing to do with what you or I can, would, or should do. It, it's God's free gift. It's God's work, right? 
It's his didymus, his exousia. His power, it's his might. And that comes through the word. That's why we talk about word and sacrament so much. Okay? So always make sure that when you're, when you're talking, uh, whether it's with misguided family members, uh, when you're chatting online, you're tweeting, you're Facebooking, whatever it is that you do in your spare time, um, at, make sure you define the words. That's grammar. And the next step after that, of course, and this is why you have to understand when, when, when he's talking here about ethics, then we go to logic. So once you have the definition now, uh, you know, one, you've got to define one, you've got to define two. And so in college, when I took uh, computer programming classes, we were first taught binary code. You know what that means? Zero and what other numbers? There are none. <laughs> it's binary. You got it? And so now it's, and, 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 and I didn't become an engineer in that sense, but you had to define what the value of. Now, when you put those together in certain sequences and all these other things, what do you end up with, Mr. Soon-to-be engineering student in a year? You could end up with all sorts of things, but you've got to define the value first, and there's an order to it. So logic now, 1 plus 1 equals, you're taught that, Okay. Uh, you, you're taught A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes, oh, that's logic. Now we move from logic then to rhetoric. How do we define rhetoric? How do you define rhetoric? Nobody wants to take a shot at that one? Rhetoric is, is really attempting to answer uh, no longer the what or the how, but the why. Right? And this is where Christians sometimes get themselves in, in trouble. Because who can know the mind of God? Take my glasses off and look at you funny. And we want to answer those questions. We want to know how many angels dance on the head of a pin. We want to know why God, you know, think of our Old Testament text for today. You know, Joseph, all that God allowed to befall him. And what was Joseph's confession of faith? That which you intended for evil, God allowed, brought about, or good. So is Joseph ultimately okay with it? So how okay are you with some of the suffering and persecution that you are currently enduring or have endured? And that's where we need to get back to, as properly preached this morning, repentance. So we measure ourselves against that. Okay? And we let Scripture answer the questions, and where Scripture doesn't answer it, we be very careful. Okay? Questions? Comments? All right, let's move on. Nope? Okay. In that case, prudence may dictate compliance, but certainly not ethics. It is hardly surprising that the one great certainty communicated by modern education, and I don't know if you've noticed as we finish the book, but Marquardt is not a fan of modern education. Okay? Now, if you kind of struggle with some of this, if you are a teacher, whether private or public, okay, um, don't come talk to me. No, you can come talk to me. <laughs> it's an interesting question in terms of how we are taught, how we learn, and where is God's Word in the midst of that? Okay? Uh, schooling, of course, when you study the history of education, originated where? With the state? 
with the kingdom, with the empire, where it originate? In the home. Okay? And then from there, churches. Okay? And so still we have the two largest education systems, private, in the country are Roman Catholic and Lutheran. Did you know that? Okay. And we're still in the midst of uh, looking at the feasibility of starting a private school here. Okay. For what reason? To be better than the public schools? Don't go down that path. I will not vote for it if that's, your, if that's what you want. What's the purpose? What would be the purpose of a church starting a school? To teach Christ, to catechize. Okay? According to what? What becomes the baseline? What becomes the measuring stick for how you teach reading, writing, and arithmetic? The three R's. They're not really the three R's. You teachers hate it when people say that. To teach Christ. Right? Now, you could use the the big 50-cent term, the Judeo-Christian worldview, but let's be honest, it's really all about Christ. So if we're going to understand ethics, we're going to to be able to do any type of of rhetorical study, question and answer, where we're going to uh, define the value of things uh, according to a a logical fashion, or we're just going to simply do that in a grammar sense, it, it, it starts with Christ. Any questions? Okay. Um, okay. Modern education would be that everything is relative. And then some of you have experienced this if, if you've come through that. And that's where good Christian parents will teach and talk with their children so they can properly filter through what they're being taught. Okay. It's really amazing. I, I had a, a, a public school teacher that came to me since I've been here uh, and, and brought me a textbook and said, look at what's been removed. I said, we used to teach these certain events and facts, and now they're no longer in the textbook. Who made the decision to remove them, and why? I can't answer that. I'm not, a, I'm not trained in that. I don't have that experience. Um, and and this, this particular public school teacher, you know, simply said, Pastor, it's, 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 it's very difficult to be a Christian. And I, and I encouraged them. I said, we need you in that place. Do what you can. Okay? Teach as you are able. Yes, you're under the authority of your principal and your superintendent. You know? But, but we need Christians in those places. Okay? Uh, don't just run away. We need Christians in all those places. You know? You, you could end up in a work environment that uh, you're the only Christian there. Any of you ever been in that environment? You might have been true confessor of the faith, okay? And you certainly don't look down on others. First and foremost, you do the job for which you've been hired to do. You want to properly evangelize? You do your work. You do that first. And then as you have opportunity, okay? And people will see your good works and praise your fathers in heaven. So let's not fall into some of the evangelical nonsense about every single one of you as a missionary or called to go convert the masses, Okay? Uh, the, 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 there's one person that oversees all that. You know what his name is? The Holy Spirit, and you're not him. Okay? He will work through you. Okay? 
and always work through his word and sacraments. A great deal rides on the question of God's existence. If there is a God, then an objective, and and understand what he's getting at here, and we talk about objective, meaning there is something that is defined, there is a value assigned to it, it is logical, and God speaks to it. Got it? So that would be objective versus subjective. Which would, which would mean that the definition now would change depending upon feelings, emotions, you know, your favorite superstar, you know, teacher, person, whatever. Okay? Then an objective moral order makes sense. If not man is up against cosmic chaos, it's everyone for himself. And I would say a lot of, of where we may, may currently find ourselves and come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, we should expect it to get worse. It might get better for a while. But if you understand what, what Marquardt talked about here at the end of the chapter before, that we live in the end times, be very careful how you define peace. And as a Christian, make sure your, 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 your lamps, uh, like, a, like a virgin, are lit and filled with oil, and you are waiting for the bridegroom to come to his wedding chamber. You are ready for the feast. And every Christian should, should be praying for Christ's return daily and expecting it. And if not, then you get up in the morning with a smile on your face and you resolve to work, to do the work that God has given you to do while it's still day, okay? And he promises that he's going to equip and protect you, okay? Uh, and you still find things to enjoy, like golfing, okay? Or like, or like this guy over here on my right who enjoys a really good bourbon and shares it with his pastor. Okay? God is the giver of every good and perfect gift that comes from above, the Father of lights. Now, you may not like golf or bourbon. That's okay. You might have something else you like. God gives it all still to enjoy. So, so, t- so take pleasure you know, uh, in the midst of the work. Take breaks as needed. But, but, but do the work and do not, do not despair. For as we saw with Joseph, the Lord will provide. And he'll work in amazing ways. Okay? All right, Stephen Crane said this, A man said to the universe, Sir, I exist. However, replied the universe, the fact has not created in me a sense of obligation. (laughs) The world does not revolve around you, my friend. Okay? Uh, The world ultimately revolves around Christ. So that, again, is the lens through which we, we look at all that. Um, you know, as there's been strange graduation, you know, situation, you know, we, we've had one this year that is graduating, and of course all the plans and parties are now changing, and we're getting, you know, uh, family that have said, you know, we're not going to travel now at this time, which we completely understand. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. Um, you know, that, that, that got to, you know, my wife and I thinking back to, to our graduation and, and, and events and all those things, and um, man, when I graduated high school, I, I, I pulled back out this last week um, the, uh, the, uh, the the speech. I was I was salutatorian. My girlfriend was valedictorian, not my wife. Let's not go there. She took easy classes and got really good grades. I took the AP classes. Anyway, anyway, now it wasn't you. I said not you. The other girl I dated before my wife and I got together. Anyway, so I was reading through my speech. Oh man, I was going to change the world. And as a young man, a young 18-year-old, oh, you know, you get this sense that the world is your, is your oyster. The world is, is your horse you're going to ride off on. 
You know, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to make great strides and this, that, and the other. And how quickly you realize, you know, how small you really are. And then, thanks be the Word of God who humbles you, He invites you to be a part of all of it in various ways. And, and, and invites you to see how, how ever minuscule you may be in various ways that you are, are still part of, of not only His grand plan, but you serve a purpose. That every single person has been created for purpose. And so one of the great joys I, that I have as a pastor is when people come to me and they just they don't feel like they have any purpose anymore. And, and I love just doing a little inventory with them and finding out how many people really rely on them in various ways, even if they're unable to work anymore or unable to do the things they used to do, uh, and, 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 and looking and taking stock of, of how God is still using you in many and various ways. So if you ever get to that point of depression, you know, Take a good long look and, and, and see what God is still doing, you know, has done for you and can continue to do. And that may change. Got a good friend this year, uh, was somebody that I've always looked up to on the golf course because he's always been just an amazing golfer. He's getting older. And his golf game has really changed. And, um, you know, just can't do the things you used to do doesn't make him any less of a friend or someone I admire. But, you know, now one of the things that he's got to learn to deal with is what? <laughs> I can't keep up with those young guys anymore. Or I can't make those shots that I used to make. But I still have to take joy in what I do. Right? Um, which he does. Which is a good reason to look up. All right, let's move on. Atheism with gusto. Any questions that came through or from those gathered here? It's just good to see people in the fellowship hall. Nice to see you. For common sense, the manifest order of the universe has always served as evidence for the existence of an intelligent creator. Let me read that one more time. For common sense, the manifest order of the universe has always served as evidence for the existence of an intelligent creator. Think of it this way, okay? In a public school system, children are taught there's been a big bang. What should we teach our children? Oh, yeah, you betcha, teacher. There was a big bang. God said, let there be light. Bang! God said, let there be a hippopotamus. Bang! This order reaches its dramatic peak. I like how I tied that in there. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> I laugh. I make myself laugh sometimes. This order reaches its dramatic peak in the world of living organisms. Let a modern biologist give us an expert glimpse into this enchanted realm. Okay? Fifty years ago, naturalists were content with the observation that bats catch moths. Then came the discovery that bats produce sounds inaudible to the human ear and use echoes to locate their prey. Okay? Now I've got to stop here. I have a bat story before I continue. You want to hear it? So when I moved to Peace Hastings, Peace Lutheran Church in Hastings, this church had bats out the belfry. Seriously. Bats everywhere. Okay? And, and we opened up two parts of the transept on the side, and not a good smell. The bats had been coming in. Matter of fact, the first month or two that we were there in church, guess what happened during the divine service? <laughs> That sounded like a dove. I don't know how to imitate a bat. They're flying around during church. And, of course, 
people were just freaking out. Yeah, right? Just freaking out. And so we had to call a guy out of Omaha to help us with our bat problem. He literally was known as the Batman. I've still got his business card. And he came and he taught the trustees a few things. Bats will only go forward. They won't go backwards. So the first thing you have to figure out is where bats are entering. Okay? And then you find out where they exit. And the easiest way to figure out is where they exit, because you can see them coming out. They come out right about dusk. And so the Batman came for two or three nights and showed up about whatever time it was. This was probably late spring, early summer. Set up his kind of equipment, you know, camped out, had a few video cameras, and for two or three nights determined where the bats were, were exiting the building. Okay? Um, and so then all that could be where the exits were, um, they would put this uh, kind of mesh wire tubing, okay? And then he would get up early in the morning to watch when they would, where they would come in and then block all that off, okay? Um, and so long story short, what ended up happening was the bats, you know, would still get in every now and then, but they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get out, right? Which meant there was a little bit of a mess to clean up, Okay. Now, I don't know if I explained that bat story correctly, but we got rid of the bats, okay, until right before we left, we saw a bat. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. I didn't tell you about that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Enough of the bat story. Uh, so, now it appears that not only do moths have soundproofing, but that they have ears specifically designed to listen in to an approaching enemy transmitter. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I love how Marquardt throws some of this stuff in here. To counter this advance, bats developed in a regular flight path, which confused the moths until they, in turn, came up with an ultrasonic jamming device. But bats still catch moths. And it can only be a matter of time before research discovers that the next development in this escalating drama of nature. So, uh, do we have uh, evidence... For, and I'm going to make sure you understand the terms here, we probably need to define them, um, microevolution or adaptation of species. Is there evidence of that? Yeah. Is there evidence for macro, meaning change of kinds? Do we have any evidence that a cat has become a dog or a fish has become a fox? And I am using these terms liberally, of course. Okay. No evidence of change of kinds. But within kinds, yes, and, and adjustments. And we see that even, even within humans, which is part of where we get different build types and different skin color and, and, and all of those things. Okay? So such marvels of bioengineering confront us everywhere in living nature. It seems obvious that if machines cannot throw themselves together by chance, then neither can plants and animals, any and all of which are vastly more complex than any and all machines. William Paley famously made this very point with his analogy of the watch. Unlike a stone, he argued, a timepiece like a watch cannot be dismissed as having always been there, nor did it come about by way of natural processes. The watch is too obviously, quote, contrived, that is, structured by some, uh, oh, I've never used that word before in a sentence myself, purposive, correct, intelligent, a watchmaker must therefore be assumed, even if none can be seen in the vicinity. Plants and animals are even more obviously the result of deliberate design. 
organs such as eyes exhibit an incomparably greater degree of complexity and precision than their crude mechanical counterparts like telescopes. So here is the essence of Paley's argument in his classic natural theology, which quickly captured the imagination of the educated public and remained influential for much of the 19th century. This book, no doubt, helped to inoculate public opinion in the English-speaking world against the anti-Christian furies unleashed by the French Revolution. Okay? And, of course, uh, at that time, you've got the age of, uh, you know, uh, of, of, of reasoning, of rationalism, uh, enlightenment, you know, discovery of, of, of science, uh, and obviously this becoming, you know, a god uh, replacing, lowercase g, uh, the one true god in his word. So the great appeal of Paley's work lay in his having harnessed the immense prestige of science. Philosophy, notably in the person of David Hume, and most of you have probably heard or studied a little bit about David Hume, had begun to dissolve all established certainties in a flood of systematic doubt. Christian truth and even the very existence of God were not to be exempt from the rising tide of skepticism. I'll read that one more time. Christian truth and even the very existence of God were not to be exempt from the rising tide of skepticism. Now, the waves were already lapping at the foundations, and the grand old house seemed ready to topple into the swollen stream when Archdeacon Paley arose and drove back the waters. Moreover, and to our present point, Paley, for his feet, employed not the cumbersome old machinery of dogma, but the bright new magic of science itself. Okay? Is it okay for us to embrace and study science? We've got a scientist or two in the room. Yeah. Wonderful. God's gifts. And to learn more about the world which he has created. You know, to, to dive into that. But to always do that still through the lens of his word. So before science... Oh, well, I missed a sentence there, didn't I? Um... Moreover, and to our present point, Paley for his freedom employed not the cumbersome old machinery of dogma, but the bright new magic of science itself. Theology, after all, could have been dismissed with a sneer. And of course, that is done today. My freshman year at University of Kansas, fall of 1992, uh, biology class. And the first thing the professor did, he said, if there are any of you Christians in this class who bring up the word creation, or use the word creation in any of your papers, I will fail you. What you will learn here in this class is evolution, which is proper science. Okay? I couldn't keep my mouth shut. You're not surprised. <laughs> Didn't give me an F, though. I wish he would have. I got to see, but, but I, in that class, I mean, I, I had other classes my freshman year. I deserved the grade I got. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. But I deserved an A in that class, and I didn't get it. I got a C. And I just took the C and, and, and just ran. But that, that, there, there will be no discussion of this. Evolution is accepted fact. And, and I question that it was accepted fact. With science, with scientific principles. With evidence, okay? And I also did it without using the word creation, okay? I'm sure somebody else had probably done it way better than I. I'm not bragging about myself in that regards, but, but you, need to, you need to understand where this is taking place uh, in, in, in various ways and, and how our children are exposed to some of it. 
Okay? So, theology, after all, could have been dismissed by the seer. Before science, however, even philosophy had to bow, however grumblingly. The vital question of God's existence seems settled now once and for all, and by means of solid scientific evidence. This was Paley's memorable achievement. Then, quote, as one professor interned, not without relish, with a suddenness only less surprising than its completeness, the end came. The fountains of this great deep were broken up by the power of one man, and never in the history of thought has a change been effected of a comparable order of magnitude. And you know who that was and what it was, I would assume. Charles Darwin, Origin of Species, burst like a bombshell upon the mid-Victorian scene in 1859. The idea of evolution itself should not have struck anyone as new and went back, in fact, to the crude speculations of the atheistic, materialistic philosophers of ancient Greece prior to Socrates. Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, and others had offered evolutionary schemes in more modern garb, but without convincing evidence. It was Charles Darwin's great distinction to provide a plausible account of how evolution might have occurred, okay, his grand hypothesis. His main explanation was, quote, natural selection. The origin illustrated the workings of this process with an impressive wealth of detail, truly so, especially for the time. There were two steps. First, the offspring of biological organisms always differ at least a little from the parents and from each other. Fair enough? Look at your kids. <laughs> Second, some of these variations will fit in better with the environment than others. Thus, the organisms with the most ad advantageous features will tend to win out in the struggle for food and life over organisms less well adapted to their surroundings. I grew up in a family of six. Who can get to the pot of mashed potatoes the quickest? No, I'm serious. It was only the strong survive sometimes at the dinner table. Okay? Or who can sneak the most food in the pantry? I don't know what to say about this. Uh, so by a gradual accumulation of tiny changes, selected because of the difference they made in the struggle for survival, nature has produced all the wide variety of living organisms known today. Their uncannily complex parts and organs and their marvelous adaptation to their environment indeed give the impression of an intelligent plan or design. This impression, according to Darwin, is an illusion. Blind, natural selection by itself, unaided, did it all. Simply by relentlessly eliminating nature's failures over, of course, millions of years. Now, why should all this be rehearsed here? This is a Bible study. Why are we talking about science? Why should a book about God even mention Darwin? And this is just the point. Darwin's proposal, it was at once realized, had broad cultural implications far beyond biology or even science itself. For if Darwin was right, he had successfully gotten rid of any intellectual necessity for God. Now, let me drive the point home. Marquardt is applying this to evolution. But go back to how I began this Bible study in terms of applying God's Word 
okay, his word of law and gospel to everything you hear on the news, to all that is occurring in our land today. The confession of a Christian, of God's truth, that his word is a, is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, you can't have it both ways. It either it is or it isn't. So if you find yourself in a dark place, what do you need? You need God's word to speak to that situation. And there is no situation to which God's word cannot speak. Certainly you've had some, I can't talk to my pastor about that. I can't talk to my husband about that. I can't talk to my wife about that. I can't talk to fill in the blank. I'm just, just, it's all right here. God's word always speaks. And that's the one thing that I'm, I'm so appreciative to some of the mentors that I have had and professors. And then this, this would go back to some of the disciples of, of Dr., uh, Reverend Dr. Ken Corby and Dr. Norman Nagel. It always comes back to mandate and institution. It comes back to that which God has spoken and said and done. There is no if. <laughs> God's word will always accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. Okay? And, and, and his word that, that brings us to repentance to recognize our sin uh, is the same word which also absolves us and frees us and forgives us. And it's a marvelous, powerful word. Okay? All right, where am I at here? I lost my track. What do we got? Five minutes left. This is just what Chani chances, complex. Now, why should all this be rehearsed here? Okay, apart, let's go from, well, let me look up. Apart from divine revelation itself, let's just pick up there. Pauli's argument from design back to designer had seemed the one respectable support left for the public acknowledgement of the creator. Darwin's natural selection effectively undid Paley's sort of argument, Right? So, so natural selection, which would occur just, just on its own, uh, by chance, or, or again, the didymus and exousia, the power and authority from, from within the species to be the stronger one, only the strong survive, eye of the tiger, right? Run with Rocky up the steps in Philadelphia, be the guy that defeats Ivan Drago and Mr. T, not really Mr. T, be that guy. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the American way. Okay? So apart from divine revelation itself, Parley's argument from design back to designer had seen the one respectable support left for the public acknowledgement of the creator. Darwin's natural selection effectively undid that argument. This knocked the props from under the public social status of the supremacy of God. And thus we have Thomas Huxley one of Darwin's earliest and most influential converts, celebrated the triumph of irreligion in the sonorous rumble of his Victorian eloquence. I can't do a Victorian accent. Should I try? I'm not going to. My wife said no. I can't do that accent. The oldest of all philosophies, that of evolution, was bound hand and foot and cast into utter darkness during the millennium of theological scholasticism. But Darwin poured new lifeblood into the ancient frame. Right? It's ancient, Huxley says. Right? Okay? 
How many of you have read Huxley? It's a brave new world. Oh, yes. You need to understand what is being taught and where we're going, where we're headed. Buyer beware. Okay? So many people these days, I would just say, and I'm going to say it like this, slaves on the plantation. Slaves on the plantation to the devil, the world, and the sinful nature. True freedom is only brought through Christ and given. Darwin poured new lifeblood into this ancient frame. The bonds burst and the revivified thought of ancient Greece has proved itself to be a more adequate expression of the universal order of things than any of the schemes which have been accepted by the credulity and welcomed by the superstition of 70 later generations of men. And of course, others have agreed. Okay? And for the most part, modern scholasticism, academia as we know it, has agreed. Michael Ruse, a modern apologist for Darwin and Darwinism, also portrays Western Civ, Western civilization, as a sort of blind alley which had for 2,000 years interrupted and arrested the noble progress of evolutionary thought. The ancient Greek atheists had been well on their way, complains Ruse, when, quote, all speculation pointing toward a general evolutionism was abruptly stopped by two things. First, by the metaphysical systems of Plato and Aristotle. Second, by the rise and spread of Christianity, bringing with it what Carlyle contemptuously referred to as, quote, Hebrew old clothes, end quote. Okay? And we might insert here just what I mentioned earlier, that 50-cent word, Judeo-Christian worldview. Okay. Neil Gillespie's respected study, Charles Darwin and the Problem of Creation, expressly argues that Darwin's own achievement was more philosophical than scientific. What Darwin had managed to do was to shift the whole of biology from a theistic creationist into a non-theistic positive frame of reference. The shift, says Gillespie, eventually took God out of nature, God that thus became negative, if not out of reality, as effectively as atheism. So despite how much time I got left, one minute, lingering scientific doubts and even objections, Darwinism won the day, particularly in the Anglo-Saxon world. Okay? And so what we are experiencing today, in terms of, quote, the truth that is foisted upon us, has had its foundation in place for a long time, folks. And if you're just now seeing it, <laughs> study your history, okay? It's always been around, okay? The grand old United States of America has, has, has not just recently fallen off a cliff in this regard or that regard, okay? And be careful to don't fall into the just blaming the institution because ultimately the United States is who? You and me, right? That's what a republic truly is about. Okay, and that's as far as I'll get with politics. <laughs> oh, where did I? Where, I got to finish this one. Here we go. So it was an idea. So this is largely on the strength of Darwinism cultural appeal. It was an idea whose time had come. The alluring sense of liberation from traditional religious constraints was in the air. Right? Uh, Darwin was seen as having driven the last nail in the coffin of God. Natural selection had finished off natural theology. And on this great certainty, the modern cult of secular humanism had staked the claims of its cultural revolution. 
These are pressed in detail by the movement's various sects and denominations, among which Marxism and Freudianism have carried the most poignant, potent virus strains. Now let's finish this. Sir Julian Huxley, grandson of Thomas, spoke for them all when he declared final victory in connection with the 1959 Darwin centenary celebrations in Chicago. Darwinism, quote, removed the whole idea of God as the creator of organisms from the sphere of rational discussion, right? Which read between the lines, okay? Thus, you are not created to be male or female. You, by your own didymus and exousia, power and authority, decide what you want to be gender-wise. You determine your sexuality, okay? You decide where you want to go with it, okay? Remember the movie that came out back in the 80s with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, twins? And here's big old Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's a scientist because big, strong guys can be scientists too. And what happens? He gets, do you remember? He gets pregnant. What a funny idea. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe, being pregnant. Remember that? I think that was the movie Twins. Maybe I got the wrong movie. But it had Arnold Schwarzenegger was a scientist and he gets pregnant. You guys figure out what movie that is and tell me. Okay? But it's, it, was, it, was, it was the start of this popular concept of, of you being who you want to be because you've got the power. And all this stems from Darwinism. All of it stems from rejection of God. Okay? All right. Let me finish the quote and then we'll pray. Before Darwin, people like Paley with his famous evidences could point to the human hand or eye and say, quote, this organ is beautifully adapted. It has obviously been designed for its purpose. Design means a designer, right? Uh, think of the watch, the beautiful timepiece that just, you know, uh, Rolexes didn't just invent themselves, did they? They didn't, bang, pop into existence. Someone took the time to design and learn Okay, or at least design and put it together. So design means a designer, and therefore there must have been a supernatural designer, end quote. Darwin pointed out that no supernatural designer was needed. And instead, natural selection could account for any known form of life. There was no room for a supernatural agency in its evolution. Okay? Now the faith we confess is that there is a God who has not only designed all things, but yet rules and reigns who knows your needs and will provides. If not, good luck, you're on your own. Let's stand and pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.